Well, good morning, everybody. It's been, uh, gosh, it's been a hot minute since I've been on here, and uh, much has happened since my last podcast. And um, not sure if I <clears throat> if I mentioned to you that um, I'm actually going through a divorce, and my wife and I have been married for over 30 years. <clears throat> July the 4th this year was 30 years, 2023. And uh, we dated for about seven years before that, so 37 years of my life have been spent with this one person. And um, take you back a little bit, uh, back when we were in college, she was the prettiest girl on campus, and a very, very beautiful girl. Um, She was half Czechoslovakian, and she had that beautiful olive-colored skin and dark hair and big eyes and big poochy lips. She was... um, she probably would remind you more of someone who's Italian than half Czech, but at any rate, she was a beautiful girl, and um, I was enraptured by her beauty, and wouldn't give up until she went out with me, and <clears throat> we started dating, and we dated off and on for about seven years. We had a pretty tumultuous relationship, and uh, that should have been a serious red flag for both of us but unfortunately we were young and you know we had sex all the time and it was great we, you know 19 years old I mean good lord um, and back in my day people didn't have sex as much as they do today or it doesn't seem that way so it was a big deal and you know I equated sex with love and um, and I'm sure she probably did too and um we were going to get married. We'd gotten engaged, but we were going to get married, and she got pregnant, so we kind of sped things along a little bit. And so we got married, and she started to change. Of course, I'm sure I did too, um, but, you know, we were we were sort of idealists when we first got married. You know, the glass was always half full, for me anyway. I think for her it was always half empty, and she wanted to find out who drank the glass and so um, through the years uh, her behavior started to change and I wasn't really sure what it was I just knew something wasn't right after the first baby um, I noticed that she was just not really attentive to our first child and um, I thought that it might be postpartum depression so of course, I was a nurse, so I recognized these symptoms and signs, and she, she seemed to have all the signs and symptoms of it, but what she lacked was empathy, and um, I didn't realize that at the time. I just thought that it was um, maybe related to depression or something like that, so I really discounted a lot of her behavior uh, because I felt like it was probably related to depression and, and you know, the baby and, you know, being a new mom and all that there, and so as the years went by, and, I think three years later we had another child and um, she had the same behavior that she had with the first one, you know, just kind of not really attentive to the child, um, so much so that, you know, you know I, would, I would notice that the, the baby would be crying in the crib when I would be out and away and come back and, you know, I'd ask her about it and she'd say, well, she hasn't been crying long. And, <coughs> so it was it was almost like a she lacked that 
that natural mothering instinct that that should have kicked in, uh, you know, at some point, and and it didn't. And so, I uh, I was a little concerned. <clears throat> I was a little concerned because I thought that you know this should get better. You know, it, it should it should um, she should start to feel something, you know, not that she didn't love her kids at all. I don't want to make it sound like that. She was, she loved her kids, but it was just something not right. And it kind of got worse with, with every kid. And then of course we had a little boy that was born and, and only lived about 11 days. And, um, <clears throat> that was about, excuse me, <clears throat> that was about 16 years ago, maybe. And, um, I remember the the pain that we both felt from the loss of a child, but it seemed to it seemed to make her condition worse. Anyway, speed fast forward. We did have a little boy after that. Even after we lost the first little boy, um, we had a son, and um, he's now 15 and a half years old. But um, about 10 years ago, <clears throat> I had. We, she and I just, we always fall. We always, we always, we call it the cage fight. And I had a lot of energy back then. I was much younger. I'm 56 now, so I was much younger back then than I am now. <clears throat> so I had a lot more uh, energy. And I would respond to her uh, probably negatively. No, not probably. I'm sure it was negatively. I, I didn't respond positively. I should have ignored her her desire to spar with me. She loved to spar, and I did not. And um, so I would I would respond negatively to her goading me on or, or gaslighting me. And, and you know, of course, then there we go. We would fight like you know we were in a cage fight against each other, and it was MMA. <clears throat> And it just wore me out, and I'm sure it wore her out too. And you know, we'd say nasty things to each other, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm not guiltless in all of this. I'm I accept my part in this, half of it at least. And um, anyway, I'm sure that through the years, the arguing, the fighting, the bickering, and everything got kind of you know, it came to sort of a head. And about ten years ago, <clears throat> I. Uh, Actually, about eight years ago, I'm sorry, about eight years ago, my son was about seven years old, and, and I separated from my wife. Um, I had every intention of filing for divorce and walking away, um, and we were separated for about a year, and um, I remember my son, you know, who was this happy-go-lucky kind of kid, you know, bouncing down the hallway, singing, you know, making noises, just, you know, just a happy kid, you know. All of a sudden, he was not happy anymore, and he was, you know, he would come and visit me at my apartment where I lived, and he would just, just sit there, you know, and <clears throat> he wouldn't say much, and he wouldn't, you know, he'd just play with his little toys, and, and he, he didn't interact like he used to, and I think he was slipping into a deep depression. And so, after, after that, I guess, several trips that he made to my house and he stayed with me a lot actually and so 
I noticed a huge change in his behavior, and I could only surmise that it was, you know, his mom and I not being together. And so I uh, called her up one day, and I told her, I said, you know, um, whatever problems you and I have, we need to put aside and just dedicate, uh, you know, dedicate our time and resources to to uh, parenting this child. And so we both we both decided that, you know, I didn't love her. She didn't love me. You know, there was no loss there. We realized that, and so we, we did the right thing, I guess, and um, got back together, and um, <clears throat> we tried to assume a normal relationship, but it was, it was too, I don't know, it was, it was too fake. We were both faking it. We were both trying to do something that we weren't. My son was, you know, he... He did recover quite quickly, and so we realized we made the right decision, even though we were both pretty miserable with each other. Um, I tried to hide it as much as I could, and, and I became more of a, uh, a silent sufferer, and I'm sure she did too, but she was, she, was, uh, she was content to argue. I was not. I was done with the arguing, and so I decided after we got back together that we just weren't going to argue anymore. I was done. <clears throat> but she liked to pick and pick and pick and pick and pick and she wouldn't leave me alone. She would just keep, you know, she'd get up in my face and she would, she would hit me. She would throw things at me. She was very violent. She was very, um, uh, very vocal and she'd say nasty things and she said things to hurt me and I, I realized, you know, what she was saying. She may not have believed, she may have, I don't know, but she would say things that would, uh, that would, she would try to really, really hurt me because she, of course, who knows how to hurt you better than the person that you're that you're married to, or, the, or at least the person that you say you love. So she knew all my right buttons to push, and so she did. And, of course, I knew her right buttons, too. I mean, I was just as guilty of it, too. <clears throat> but I began to pull away and just, just kind of, you know, really work my way further and further away from her. I didn't want to be around her. I didn't like her. I didn't enjoy her company. She just didn't bring out the best in me, and I didn't bring out the best in her. And so... Um, she would say things like, you know, nobody likes you, nobody cares about you, you know, and I'd say, well, I'd like to go see my family, and she'd say, why do you want to go see them? You know, they don't really like you, they don't care about you. And um, she never apologized, not once, never said she's sorry. I can't remember one time in our entire 37 years <clears throat> that she would have said, I'm sorry, I was wrong, you know, I apologize. If she did, and, I, and I'm sure at some point she might have, but it just... For whatever reason, I don't remember it. Um, I'm, I mostly remember her saying things like, well, you're just too sensitive, or you uh, you took it the wrong way, or that's not the way I meant it. You know, these were all excuses for her behavior. Um, you know, when I would say something and I meant it, you know, I would, I would later go back and I'd say, look, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I said it. I meant it when I said it, but I'm sorry that I said it because it was hurtful. And so I was the one who was always apologizing. I was the one who was always saying, I'm sorry. And uh, <clears throat> and so I felt like, you know, it was a one-sided relationship whereby, you know, I, I would try and, and do better. And then, you know, we even went to counseling. Um, I told her, I said, you know, well, she said, will you, will you go to counseling? Because she was convinced it was all me. And I said, absolutely, sure, let's go to counseling. You know, if counseling will work, let's go. <clears throat> well, we had gone once before, many years before that, and um, the uh, counselor had told her that, you know, she needed, she needed professional 
help beyond just a counselor. She needed a psychiatrist, and um, she didn't like that, so we stopped going to that counselor. And uh, <clears throat> she was convinced that I had somehow turned the counselor against her, even though she picked him out. And um, anyway, so we went to another counselor. It's a lady in our church. And I, I wasn't real crazy about the idea of, of going to someone who was in our church, but she is, she's, you know, she has her master's level in counseling and she's a professional. And um, I trusted her enough that she wouldn't, you know, run and tell everybody. <clears throat> and I wasn't too much worried about that anyway. I mean, everybody's human, so it wasn't like something I was worried that people would find out that my wife and I were having marital problems. I mean, good Lord, who doesn't? And so, um, so we went to her and, you know, we both saw her once and then we went uh, separately. And, um, you know, I talked to her and told her some of the things that, you know, Missy had said and told her, you know, some of the things I'd said and, you know, that we were just, <clears throat> we just seemed to, to bring out the absolute worst in one another. And so, you know, she felt like, you know, through a lot of prayer and, and you know, supplication that she and that Missy and I could probably work through this. And um, so I said, okay, great. You know, I'm, I'm in it for the long haul. You know, um, I didn't want to be divorced. At that particular time, I, I, I didn't want to be divorced. I didn't want to separate from her. I just um, I just wanted her to to be nicer, to not say mean things and, and you know, try to, try to hurt me all the time and, and act like she hated me. <clears throat> And so I was willing to change as much as I had to change to, to get the desired effect from her. And um, the, the problem with that is that, you know, I, I, the rules changed every day. The rules were fluid and, you know, whatever she wanted today was not what she wanted the next day. And it was always something different. And I, I realized later what it was. It was just she, she was not happy with herself. She's never been happy with herself. She's never been content with herself. She's never... She's actually never really had joy that I'm aware of. Even with the birth of our children, I don't think there was joy. And um, anyway, so we went to counseling and, and of course, um, I don't know, I guess six months we were in counseling and, and the counselor told me one day, she said, well, you know, I, I really don't think I need to see you anymore. Um, I think that, you know, you're doing really well and, you know, you're, you're, you're making strides and, you know, you're doing all these things right and everything. And, and I said, okay. I, she said, unless you just want to come see me about some things in your childhood. I kind of had a rough childhood, so I'd let her in on that. So, And I said, no, I think I'm pretty good. I mean, it's been so long ago, and I've kind of worked through it. You know, I'm good, but if I change my mind, I'll let you know. And she goes, but I, I do need to see Missy, and I'd like to see you both again one more time. And so I said, okay, great. And so we went in together, and, of course, my wife, you know, she would ask me, you know, what would y'all talk about? What'd you, you know, and I'd say, well, it's, you know, we just talked about you and I, and pretty much that was it. <clears throat> So we went back in and, and, you know, we were talking and the counselor was there and then my wife said something that triggered the counselor to stop and just kind of look at her and she said, oh, Missy, I thought you were further along than that. And my wife had gotten comfortable enough to, to be very honest with the counselor and I think when she said that, it kind of, you know, her mask sort of slipped, so to speak, and, and you know, I think the counselor really saw that there was... A lot of um, fakery going on with my wife and you know I guess eventually she she couldn't fake it any longer and so the counselor told her she said you know you you might need to look into 
you know, behavioral medication maybe and um, maybe see a psychiatrist. And uh, I thought, well, this is not the first time she's heard this before. And so I'm thinking, what is wrong with my wife? What is it? You know, there's something not right with her. There's just something that was supposed to be working in her brain is it's just not working in her brain. And so, <clears throat> and so I just, I, I thought there's something going on. You know, we just don't know what it is, but there's, there's something maybe organic. Maybe it's just behavioral. I don't really know. But at any rate, um, I, um, I said, okay, well, my wife didn't like that, of course. And she liked this counselor a lot up until that point. And then after that point, that was it. She didn't like her anymore. And so she didn't go back to her. <clears throat> and so um, about a year ago, maybe a little less, I, um, I stumbled across this, uh, this uh, I guess, I don't know if you call it a diagnosis so much as uh, it was a informational uh, article, I guess. Anyway, um, so I was reading it, and I was I was reading, you know, does your spouse do this, or you know, does it, do they do this? Do they do this? Do they do this? And I was noticing that <coughs> she actually fit <coughs> all of the. Uh, I mean, I checked all the boxes with her. And I was like, this is crazy because this is, they're describing my wife. And so I read on, I read on, and then I began to read more. And then I did some more research and I found out, and it made perfect sense after I realized this, and I can't believe that I didn't pick it up before. Um, <clears throat> and I guess in the back of my, the recesses of my mind, I sort of thought that she might be this way, but I didn't really want to admit it because I have a brother who is, and. You know, he's, he's just a very, uh, just not a nice person, and um, to say the very least. <clears throat> and he's just, um, and he's been that way since we were children, since as far back as five years old, I can remember his behavior. But um, I read on and read on that I realized she is a, she is what they call a covert narcissist. I'd heard the word narcissist before because I knew my brother was a textbook narcissist. Um, actually, my brother is a psychopath. <clears throat> it goes a little further beyond the narcissism. It's it's more of it's a dangerous form of the of the narcissist, the, the psychopath, and um, they're capable of, of all kinds of dastardly deeds. And, and you know they're just they're just really they're almost like a sadist. <clears throat> and um, so I read that you know everything I read was telling me that, that my wife was a covert narcissist. And the covert part comes from them being able to pretend to be something they're not in front of other people. In other words, they're covert about their actions. So they're absolutely aware of their behavior enough so that they know that it's not acceptable in, in public eyes, but they, so they, they modify their behavior so other people don't think that they're, they're a narcissist. <clears throat> and so my my wife was very very capable of doing this in public. She was um, she had a very public job. She worked with the public, and um, our circles would often uh, interact because I also work in the public too. Um, and so we would we would end up at, at events together, and you know people knew her, they knew me, and 
and they would say things like, oh, you know, Missy, your wife, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, and they're like, oh, she's so nice, and she's just the sweetest thing, and she's so nice, and I never said anything, because, you know, there's really no sense in saying something to somebody like that, it, it's just not, it's not, um, what's the word I'm looking for, it's, it's not really protocol, so <clears throat> I'd say, oh, yeah, she's, she's very sweet, you know, and because it wasn't anybody's business that my wife was a covert narcissist and so she would get the same thing from other people you know uh, they would they would say oh is you know dan your husband and she'd say oh yes that's my husband and they'd say oh he's just the nicest guy i mean he's helped me with this and he's helped me with that and blah blah, blah. they just go on and on and on well then she would say things to them like yeah you don't know him you know <clears throat> and so She would respond negatively to that kind of uh, adulation, I guess, people would have for me. But I would try and say, well, you know, she, yep, she's very nice, you know. Because she could be if she wanted to be. She just chose not to be with me. <clears throat> and she may have been very nice to these people. I mean, I'm sure she was. They obviously were, you know, um, enraptured by her. And so... Um, so I, I, I began to read more and more, and the more I studied, the more I got it, the more I realized that she is a covert narcissist, and so <clears throat> I, um, <clears throat> I apologize. I have got some phlegm in my throat, and I am so sorry, and I probably shouldn't be drinking this iced coffee, which is probably making it worse, but I do apologize. I know this is irritating for you to listen to, but um, <clears throat> this is every morning, and no, I'm not a smoker. <clears throat> Never have been. I just get a lot of phlegm in my throat. But anyway, I had decided that I was going to talk to her about this because I felt like, you know what, we need, we really need to talk about this because this is something that is, you know, it's, it's really bad. It's behavior that, you know, could be modified if she was interested in modifying her behavior at all. And so <clears throat> I, um, I told her one day, this was about six months ago, I said, we we really need to sit down and talk. You and I need to have a conversation. And at this point in time, I'll just be honest with you, I had already decided that I wanted a divorce because I was I knew her well enough. I mean, I'd known her for 37 years. And I knew that she was not going to change. You know, she was 55, and she's just not going to change. That's just, I know her. And so I knew that I was not up for this anymore. And... And honestly, it gave me sort of an out to to kind of say, okay, you know, I'm, I'm justified in wanting a divorce because she is a covert narcissist. <clears throat> and so every time I try to talk to her, one of the things she likes to do is to put everything off. She likes to put everything off and keep putting it off and keep putting it off and keep putting it off until you just forget about it or you give up. And so that's part of her, her um, MO. And so I just kept asking her and she'd say, well, I, well, I just got home from work. I'm really tired or I don't feel good or I've got this tomorrow. I've got that this weekend and why can't we, I don't really have time. And so she kept putting me off, put me off, put me off. So I, um, I told her we would take a ride up to a, um, a place in Georgia to go look at some antiques, you know, spend the day up there. <clears throat> Cause I knew the drive was about a, about an hour and a half, you know, and I knew I'd have enough time in the car to talk to her. And so I got her in the car and we went and spent the day up there and, <clears throat> looked around, what you know, what looked at some antiques, and you know, um, had lunch, and then on the way back, I said, you know, I, I want to talk to you about something, and she immediately said, well, did you take me on this trip so you could talk to me? And I said, yeah, I did, because I'm, I'm a lot of things, but I'm, I'm not a liar, and uh, I'm honest to a fault, 
<clears throat> and so I said, yeah, I took you on this trip so I could get you in the car and you couldn't go anywhere. And I had talked to you. I said, because there's something that we really need to discuss that, you know, it's been heavy on my mind for, you know, a couple of months now. And I said, you know, you've been putting me off and putting me off. And so I told her, I said, I want a divorce. I want a divorce from you. And she said, well, I'm not surprised. And I said, okay, well, if you're not surprised, then, you know, why fight me on this? And she said, well, I'm not going to fight you. I want a divorce too. And I said, okay, well, that's even better. We're, we're both in agreement. What, you know? And she said, um, <clears throat> I said, you are a, um, you're a covert narcissist. And I said, you, you probably don't want to admit that. I don't think I would want to admit that. Um, and I said, but you are. And I said, you really need, you really need professional help. And I said, I know this probably doesn't come as, you know, the way it should come across. And I, I, I think you probably think I'm trying to hurt you or, or trying to slander you or, or, you know, make you feel badly or, or attack you in some way. But honest to God, I'm not. And I said, you know, I don't love you. I don't hate you. I don't love you. I'm indifferent towards you. And I said, um, <clears throat> but you need help. And you need professional help that you're not going to get through um, any counselor. And she said, well, I've, I, um, I've been thinking about going back to the counselor. And I said, well, I think that's a great idea. I think that's, that's good. But I said, you really do need like professional help. And I said, you know, you've been told twice that you need professional help from a psychiatrist, someone who can, you know, manage your meds. And she said, well, I'm only this way because of you. And I said, well, that's not true. You're that way because you are that way. And I said, I understand that, you know, you probably had a, a bad childhood, you know, and, and I know that you grew up with a father who was detached and, you know, more than likely was uh, on the on the spectrum of autism. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, your mom was you know, manipulative and, and a liar. And I said, so, you know, I, I get where the behavior comes from. It's it's a survival mode that you you use as a as a coping mechanism. It's unfortunate that you you chose to be this type and she said, oh, you know, you're crazy and, you know, you, you're a narcissist. And she, you know, of course, everything I told her that she was, she's convinced that I am. And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm not, but that's okay. If you think that I am, then, you know, you're entitled to your opinion just like I am. I said, but you really need some help. And I said, I can't be married to you any longer. Um, you wear me out. And she said, you wear me out. And I said, okay. So we wear each other out. We don't want to be married. You don't love me. I don't love you. You want a divorce. I want a divorce. Seems like we're in, uh, in, in harmony here. <clears throat> And she said, well, if you want a divorce, you're going to have to divorce me. I'm not going to end this marriage. This is the other thing. My wife is extremely religious. And um, I don't, I have a relationship. I, I'm, I'm a spiritual person, I should say. Um, I have a relationship with God. I have a relationship with the son, Jesus. And, um, and I'm okay with that. But I'm not a super religious person. I don't go to church on Sundays and um, you know, I, I, I just, I'm not that kind of religious person. And she is, and she uses the Bible as a weapon against me. And she's done this for years. And so I said, okay, you know, she's like, well, I'm not going to do this because, you know, I'm not going to go against what God wants in marriage and contract and all this here. And I said, but do you understand that what we have is a farce? What we have is a slap in the face of God who, who wanted marriage to be this, this, uh, this sanctioned, harmonious, you know, um, blissful relationship where two people love and respect and admire and 
cherish one another. That's not something you and I have. We've never had that. And, um, and so I said, why would you want to be something fake? And so, of course, you know, that, that opened up a whole can of worms of, you know, what all the things I had done wrong. And, you know, and she was right. There were a lot of things that I had done wrong. Um, you know, as a husband, I never beat her. I never ran around on her. I never, you know, um, abandoned them or not took care of them or, you know, not paid the bills or, you know, not worked. I mean, I always, always did these things, you know. And so, <clears throat> but I was not always emotionally there. And I was not always supportive of her emotionally. And so I'm sure that there were a lot of reasons that, you know, she had that, that she didn't like, um, you know, that she could, she could not like me. I'm sure there were lots of reasons. I'm, I'm not the easiest person to live with, and I get that. Um, you know, I've, I've got my own hang-ups and my own behaviors and things like that. And so <clears throat> I'm not perfect by any means at all. I'm, I'm not even close to perfect. So she had a lot of valid, you know, things that she said, but it still didn't change the fact that she is a covert narcissist. So fast forward now, that was about four months ago. I filed for divorce about a little over a month ago and um, cost me, I think, $500. And um, she said that, you know, she wasn't going to help pay for the divorce because she didn't want the divorce. Of course, that's the other thing that covert narcissists do as well. They have a fantasy uh, memory they, they'll say things and then they'll say, no, I didn't say that, you know, and so there's, there's been things said that, you know, I'd call her on the rug about and she'd say, I never said that. <coughs> and so I just kind of, you know, okay, whatever, you know, and, and she wants to pick and pick and pick and pick at me because she wants to get me going because narcissists love to draw their energy from the negativity that they bring out of the other person. And so if you don't give them that, it causes them to lose the power that they have, the, the you know, the, uh, the energy that they get from, from making someone uh, or causing someone to, you know, react to their, uh, their words. And so <clears throat> it's almost like, um, it's almost like fuel for them. And if you take away the fuel, then, you know, they can't do it. So they'll usually walk away. <clears throat> and so um, anyway, fast forward now, I have filed for divorce. Um, she is fighting me on everything. Uh, we have a house, and that is it. We just have a house. And uh, I told her, I said, look, if you want the house, you take the house. Well, I can't afford the house. I said, I know you can't afford the house. She said, well, I want you to pay for the house and me to live here. And I said, that's not how it works. And I said, but if you want the house, you can have the house. You can buy me out of the equity. There's about $115,000 in equity in our home right now. And um, I said, you can buy me out of the equity. We'll split it. You take your money and I take my money and I go one way, you go the other. Or I said, I can buy the house out from you and give you the equity, whichever you want. And um, she said, well, I don't know what I want to do yet. And I said, okay, fine. So <clears throat> she, of course, is putting everything off, putting everything off, putting everything off, putting everything off. And so she is now not cooperating. And so it looks like we're probably going to have to go before a judge. Well. Neither one of us have an attorney because it cost about $5,000 up front for an attorney plus another $5,000 because, because she is contesting and I'm contesting because um, she, wants, she wants alimony, she wants child support, she wants the house. She basically wants her five pounds of flesh. She wants me to suffer as much as possible. Um, anyway, there's, there's, there's all sorts of minutia to this, this whole divorce 
and the law and, and what it says. And, you know, of course, here in Florida, the law is 50-50 for, um, for custody. So that means, you know, she would get 50% of the time with the child. I would get 50% of the time with my child. And, and um, so there would be no exchange of, of uh, child support. Now, the fact that I make more money than she does, I may have to pay, you know, 150 bucks a month for child support, which is fine. I don't mind paying for that. Um, <clears throat> I want my son to live with me because if he lives with, he, he's already in the house now. And so if he comes to live with me, you know, then he'll be with me as the primary parent and the primary um, house of residence, but in the state of Florida, it's 50-50. So we will share custody, which is fine. I'm okay with that. I, I want him to have contact with his mom and I want him to spend as much time with her as he can. Um, <clears throat> but she wants alimony, which, you know, she's entitled to alimony because she's been married for 30 years. But there, you, you, you might be entitled to alimony, but you, the other person has to be able to afford to pay the alimony. And I cannot afford to pay alimony. Um, I already carry insurance on the family at $1,000 a month. And so um, there's a lot of things that I pay for that she's not, you know, she doesn't pay anything for the insurance. Anyway, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of minutiae to this. So divorce is really nasty. It's my first divorce. I hope it'll be my only divorce ever. I don't ever want to get married again. Um, I, I, I can't see, you know, I'm 56 years old. I don't know that there's anybody out there that I'd want to marry anyway. Um, but it's unfortunate. But now, as we're separated, we are separated. Unfortunately, we have nowhere to go, so we have to live in the same house together. So she lives in one room, I live in the other. Um, and so... <clears throat> If you're thinking of getting married, I want you to consider all this. You know, 50% of, of marriages end in divorce. And, you know, I don't recommend marriage. I'm not a big proponent of marriage. Um, you know, marriage is, is a tough, tough contract. It's a tough thing. Relationships are hard on their own, but when you, when you add the government in there and a contract, then all of a sudden it becomes more messy than you ever wanted. Don't get married. You know, I don't ever want to get married again. I, if I have, if I find someone who wants to be with me, you know, then, you know, I'm just going to have a friend. I'm not going to have a wife. And so anyway, that's what's going on with me. I, I, I know I went into a really long one this time and, and I apologize, but um, that's what's going on with me today. I'm taking a day off from work and I'm heading down to the uh, Disney parks in uh, Orlando and I'm going to try and relax and and decompress from all the stress that's going on from the divorce. And hopefully today will be a, uh, a good day for me. I'm, I'm expecting that it will. I hope, um, hope today's a good day for you guys. It's uh, Tuesday, it's the beginning of the week and um, we're already in November, which is really bizarre because October seemed like it was about a week long and then it was done. <clears throat> so I've been pretty busy in my job and so this is a good respite for me. And um, at any rate, I uh, hope you guys enjoy uh, the rest of the week. And until we meet again, thanks for listening. On this day, we celebrate or remember the veterans who have fought in the wars and served our country and every year we seem to make our way around to 
some small town with lots of American flags and gray-haired men and women and some of them sporting their uniforms from days gone by and somehow in the middle of all of that we we see humanity when it was a tough time a hard time beneath those gray hairs and wrinkles and bad teeth and cloudy eyes there's a young man who at 19 or 17 or sometimes 16 donned a uniform and scaled a field or a town or climbed atop a tank or flew a helicopter or an airplane and fought for a country, a belief, a dream. No different than any young person today. I'm sure they had dreams and desires and they didn't think their life would turn out that way. And of course their life turned out much differently than they ever thought. And so today they're old and one young man that I spoke to today was 99 years old. He'd fought in World War II, was even a prisoner of war for 18 months until the Allied forces bombed the prison where he was and he and several of his comrades were able to escape. Only six months before had he been wounded and convalesced in a hospital and demanded to go back out into the field where his men were. Five of his men were captured and only he and a stranger made it out of the prison alive. I saw him sitting there in that chair and I walked over to him and I introduced myself and I said, would you mind if I sit down beside you? He said, "Uh, one condition only speech was slow and his voice was low but he had a twinkle in his eyes and I said what's the condition and he said long as you don't start any shit (laughs) I laughed and I shook his hand and he shook mine and he looked at me suspiciously and I thought for a moment that young man still inside there covered up heaped over by the age and dismantled youth. That young fella's still in there. Oh, the things he's seen and the things he's done, I can't imagine. There were others that were there too. Younger fellas that were there and older guys and a few ladies who fought in the wars and some in Vietnam some in Afghanistan, some in Korea, a few in World War II. World War I's kind of so far back, I don't think we have anybody there who represented World War I, but there were a lot of people there today, and of course I heard one man say there were more people last year. I looked over at him and I said, oh yeah, and he goes, yeah. 
Not as many people care anymore. Just then, a group of young cadets came by presenting the colors. I stood at attention like I always do and kept my eyes on the flag. And as they walked on by, I got a lump in my throat. I'd always wanted to be a veteran, just didn't work out. But I always had a lot of respect for those who did. There was a camaraderie that they shared that I guess I always wanted to feel. And I always liked when I'd see them in their uniforms and I'd get a lump in my throat then too. As a kid, I remember Vietnam and watching the news at night and Walter Cronkite talking about the soldiers coming home from Vietnam and coffins laced with the American flag and that salute and the trumpet playing taps in the background and all the young men's faces of course they looked old to me because I was just a kid but looking back now in retrospect they were just barely out of high school I've always wanted to be part of that but alas it never happened and at 56 years old it's never going to happen but I have a lot of respect for them and on this day this veterans day I salute them some gave all and gave some. God bless America. God bless the men and women who helped preserve it. Thank you and good night. I woke up this morning quite early. It was still dark outside by the nuzzling of my black lab scout who often finds her way to my bedside to let me know that it's time for her to go out and relieve herself after the long night. I felt her cold nose on my hand and heard her sniffing and snorting that she does in the morning. And I woke up pleasantly and opened the front door and was greeted by the coolness of the morning. 51 degrees, it said, and I could tell it felt good. I'd had the air condition on the night before and had it down to about 73, but woke up kind of warm and kicked it down to 70. And opening that door was kind of like a burst of air conditioned air. It was nice. Of course, it's nice this time of year in Florida because... We have so much heat. You really look forward to the cooler weather. I promised my son that I would take him to meet his sister at the Dunkin' Donuts at 7.30 in the morning. So it was 7 o'clock, and I got up, got my shower, and got dressed, and put on a pot of coffee, and took my son down to meet his sister. And then they went left and drove to church and 
I went back home and got dressed, went to another church where I serve on the board. I haven't been in a while. It's been one of those things where I'm just so busy all the time. I barely have time to to take time off, let alone go to church. And so I decided it was probably time for me to grace the doorsteps again. And, and though I walked in, I was a little concerned that the roof might fall in. I did go inside and of course there were some happy faces to see me and some surprised faces to see me and a lot of faces that didn't know me and a lot of faces I didn't know. But it was good to be back again around friends and it was nice to, to fellowship again but that pang in my heart just wouldn't go away. I, I don't know. I'm just not a church-going kind of person. I already know the the words they're going to speak, and I don't want to be ugly. I don't want to sound like I don't care. It's just that when you grew up in church and you went to church all your life, you you, you sort of heard everything over and over again so many times. You, you kind of know the foundational truth of it. And so for me, it's kind of a a waste of time, I guess. I went more for the fellowship than I did anything else. And I kind of felt a little guilty since I serve on the board there. Perhaps I probably shouldn't serve on the board at all the way I feel, but I do believe in God and I believe in His Son Jesus and we have a pretty good relationship. I don't always live up to His expectations and I'm not always doing the right thing. It seems like every day is a do-over day for me, but we have a pretty good relationship going and I enjoy his company and hopefully he enjoys mine and you know we go from there. But when church was almost done, a lot of doom and gloom in the in the message and I just I don't know, I kinda lost interest. Um so I headed out a little early during the prayer time, snuck out the back door and left and I had a crazy idea and I thought you know the fall is here and I absolutely love the fall it's my favorite time of year I love to hear the crunch of the leaves under my feet and smell the the decaying leaves around and the feel of fall in the air with the coolness and the Christmas in the air and I just love it all it's just something about fall that triggers a lot of really good memories as a child. So I thought, well, you know what? Got this crazy idea. Maybe I'll just take a trip into Georgia, see how far I go and see if I can find some really nice colors. We've got a few colors up in North Florida, but we don't have all the hard wood trees like they do up in Georgia. And I thought, you know, this would be a great day for just a road trip. So I called a few friends of mine and sent them texts and said, you know, would you like to go? And of course they couldn't go, couldn't drop what they were doing. One friend had some work he had to make up today and couldn't do it. Wanted to go, but I said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. You don't have to go. And I understand you got work to do. And, you know, I'm 
I barely get days off anymore, and so I just want to take advantage of today. And I called a cousin of mine, and she said, well, let me see if I can make arrangements for Mama and somebody else to be picked up from church afterwards, and I can go with you. And a few minutes later, I get a text from her. I can't go, but I'd sure love to. I could tell in her text that she was pretty disappointed. She's like me. She likes the colors, too, and a road trip would have been fun. I even reached out to a friend that I haven't reached out to in a while. And, of course, she was busy, too, and so I thought, well, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it alone. Like most of my life lately, I do a lot of things alone. I'm not sad about it. I'm not disappointed. I'm not grieving over the loss of not having someone. I kind of like being alone sometimes, and here lately I kind of like being alone a lot. I get these images that I get to see and places that I get to experience. It would be nice to have somebody to go with me. You know, maybe we could share some memories together, and then as we progress in our relationship, we could draw on those memories and go through the remember when game, but that's just not the way it is right now. I don't know that it'll always be that way. I hope not. But if it is, it is, and there's nothing I can really do about it. I believe things happen for a reason. I believe things happen for a season. So I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. I didn't think I would be at first, especially with me going through the divorce. I thought I'd really just try to find someone right away, and I think I probably tried too hard. And uh, I think probably... It was best that I was unsuccessful. Though I had lots of those who were interested that just, I don't know, just lacked that spark, that chemistry that is so necessary to move forward. Maybe I'm just too old for the game. Maybe I'm just too honest. Maybe my standards are a little too high. Perhaps I haven't really taken myself into question enough and say, do I really think I deserve something like what I think I deserve? I don't know. It's kind of hard. You know, as a guy, it's it's hard. I guess it's hard for women, too. I don't know. I don't want to say it's not. I don't know how they feel. I know it must be hard for anyone to be alone and be lonely. I'm alone, but I'm not always lonely. I'm I'm okay with me. I'm I kind of find my company is is predictable, and uh, I'm always there. So I'm okay with it. So I'm headed up to Georgia. I'm passing through White Springs right now, and staring over at this huge huge mountain that has been created by the Occidental or Nutrien company <clears throat> it's uh, it's a material that they pull out of the ground they don't need it and so they just pile it up 
Oh, and it's a good, oh, I'd say 200, 300 feet up. Looks like a, a mountain with snow all over it. <clears throat> sort of a contrast here in Florida. But it's just covered here on the right of me as I'm driving down this back road, this little two-lane back road. The sky is white from overcast, and it's 59 degrees outside. I've got the air from outside coming inside the car now, and it's starting to cool down a little bit. It's nice. <clears throat> and I'm thinking, where am I going to go? What am I going to do? How far am I going to take this trip today got to be back to work in the morning so could be a late night coming back but I just wanted to see the colors I love the fall colors and so I usually go up and see them every year but this year I didn't really have the time to do it <clears throat> so I'm driving along this back road trying to take the back roads up. I could take the interstate if I wanted to, but I don't know. I kind of like a road trip to be filled with something better than the interstate. Maybe coming back, I'll take the interstate to make good time. It'll be dark anyway, but <clears throat> I think the back roads are the best. You hit all those small towns, especially these little small towns in Georgia. And in the meantime, you get to see all the colors and the fields and the farms. It's actually kind of pretty over here in North Florida. I've always liked it up in this area. It's kind of like South Georgia, really, but just beautiful over here. I think I'm in Hamilton County now, which borders the county I'm living in, which is Columbia. And uh, very rural. An occasional single-wide trailer abandoned years ago. Double-wides with their fenced-in properties. 18-wheelers parked in the front yard. Double-wide trailers sitting way back in the back in the woods. Well, it's somebody's home. It's somebody's place. To them, it doesn't matter if it's a manufactured home or a stick-built home. It's home to them, and home is where the heart is, and so a lot of poor folks live around here in this part of the woods. Often wondered, why is it that poor folks, the poorest among us, usually have the most sheds and storage sheds to keep all their stuff? They they don't like to get rid of anything. I guess maybe they lived without so much for so long that they don't want to get rid of anything just in case they might need it one day. <clears throat> I can understand that. Growing up poor, it was it was hard for me when I was a kid. You know, we didn't want to get rid of anything either. Didn't know when you'd need it again or how tough it might be to, to get it back one day, you know. So we held on to it, afraid somebody might steal it. Although I don't think anybody would really want what we had. We, we really didn't want it either. We just didn't want somebody else to take it. 
it's kind of a mindset I think of the impoverished but <clears throat> coming now into the small town of Jasper Jasper Florida little itty bitty place not much to speak about but kind of a neat little town you know drying up like so many towns and industry leaves and people move out and the only ones who stay are the ones who can't afford to leave and property for sale everywhere and socioeconomically depressed probably wouldn't be much here if there wasn't a prison you know I guess the prisons will always find places like that to build because land's cheap and most everybody don't care nicer homes are probably on the outskirts of town, bigger pieces of property. A few rolling hills here and there and open pastures and a thick forest off in the distance. But mostly just poor folks trying to make a living, trying to work the land or trying to work a business in a dying community. Must be depressing, I guess. And then there's the elderly folks who grew up here, lived here, never moved away, and this has always been home to them. I can understand that. I grew up in a small town, too. Everybody knew everybody, and we all got our news from the same source. The Baker County Press came out once a week on Wednesdays. I don't know why Wednesdays was the day. I often wondered that. Then they started coming out on Sundays as well. Of course, it was the same news with just a few more advertisements in there. Everybody was church-going folks on Sunday. Act like the devil the rest of the week. In everybody's business. I remember as a kid growing up in, in the town of McClinney. And uh, one of the many places we, we lived, it was an old clapboard side rattle trap house that my father had rented. We lived in the city area, so I could drive my bike anywhere I wanted to. And of course that was my, that was my freedom, take my bike everywhere. Anywhere I wanted to go, my feet would take me. My pedals would take me wherever I needed to go to explore the, the city, the area. And the fall was my favorite time. Even as a kid, I'd take little trips around the neighborhood and through the city. And for some reason or another, I was always drawn to the pecan trees, you know, unless you're from up. Charleston way and then you say pecan or up Georgia you might say pecan but here in North Florida we just call them pecans. I like the pecan tree I don't know why I guess it was just maybe a trigger for me that when the leaves were all gone it was fall and it was colder back then it seemed colder it seemed uh, more like winter time back then when I was a kid than it does today seems to stay a little warmer 
through December and maybe a few weeks of really cold weather in January, maybe February, but not like when I was a kid. I'd put my jacket on because it was cold. I'd drive that bike all over the city and just looking around and taking pictures with my eyes and trying to keep my memory straight in my head, all the photos that I'd taken and, and the feeling of fall. The way I felt, it's like when you hear a song and it takes you back to a time and all of a sudden you're there or you smell something and it's, oh, it's, it's a memory that you want to hang on to, but it, like a vapor of smoke, it, it it's, slips through your fingers. Before you know it, before you know it, your mind has lost that feeling again and, and you crave that feeling. You want it again and so you try to find that same smell again. I've had that a few times in my life. Usually a fire burning. Love the smell of wood burning. It'll trigger some really good memories. And I don't know what it is, but when I'm up in North Carolina or Tennessee, but especially North Carolina, along those creeks, there's a smell that almost smells like a little bit of cinnamon. Can't explain it. Never smelled it anywhere else but there, but every time I smell it, it just it's a fond memory that I hang on to and I just bask in it. And I'll stop and stand there and close my eyes and ah, take a deep breath in and just let it fill my nostrils and my brain is on fire with memories and triggers of memories and Ah, feels so good. It's just such a wonderful feeling. And then there's times when I'm in an old antique store and I walk over to an antique cabinet or set of drawers and I open the drawer up and I stick my face down in there and take a deep breath and smell that oldness of the wood and the antique smell just fills my nostrils. And again, I close my eyes and let all the memories of anything that that triggers just flood through my head across my brain and it just excites me so much and I'll sit there and just take it all in and I don't want to move and I got caught doing that one time at a store over at High Springs it was a really nice cabinet it was very expensive but I remember the lady said smells good doesn't it I turned to see this lady who was the owner of the store and she said I love to smell that. She said, I never see people do that anymore. And I said, oh, I just love the smell. She said, me too. She said, wherever I go, I try to smell things like that. And I said, me too. She said, I've never met anybody like that. I'm so glad to have met you. She said, take your time and smell all you want to smell. And we laughed and I felt like we were kindred spirits there just for a few seconds. I like smells. Some smells are just great smells like gardenias love gardenias the smell is just incredible or the magnolia love the smell of magnolia when i was a kid we would drive down south florida we would there were orange groves everywhere far as the eye could see there were orange groves and during the spring i guess whenever the flowers come out the orange grove flowers would come out it would just feel the air with this aroma, this intense aroma 
of oranges. It was so nice. And we'd drive down the road, and my dad would roll the windows down and let all that beautiful smell just encompass our car. And we'd breathe deep, and ah, we'd sigh, and we'd, oh, that just smells so good. And, you know, we always, always wanted to stop and pick a few oranges, but my dad said, nope, they're not ours. And I'd say, yeah, but other people are doing it. He'd say, well, they're stealing. He said, those oranges aren't ours. If we take those oranges, we're stealing them from somebody, a farmer who planted them. They're his oranges or her oranges, not ours. And I never forgot that. I always remembered, you know, yeah, if it's not yours, don't touch it. That was my dad saying. If it's not yours, don't touch it. Leave it alone. So I learned early from my father about not being a thief. My dad didn't like thieves. He didn't like people who would steal things. He had his own faults, of course, we all do, but he didn't like thieves. And so I remember growing up with a strong sense of morality, that, that, that moral compass that kept me centered. I like that. I remember once I found a wallet in the bathroom I worked at a gas station as a kid back when they had service stations and people would pull in and we would pump their gas and wash their windshield and check the air in their tires and we would uh, check the oil in their car. I mean, we, we, we did everything we could to, to try and make a sale is what we were doing. But it was also part of the service. You know, we, we liked to we like to give service, you know. And so uh, we did that. I remember one time I was going to the bathroom to check the bathroom, make sure it was clean, make sure we had toilet paper, and make sure the bathrooms themselves were presentable for our customers. <laughs> it wasn't a great bathroom. It was your typical, you know, one stall and one urinal and a sink and tile is far as you could see so we would mop it and clean it and clean the sinks and it was important to keep it clean and I walked in and there was this big fat wallet sitting on the side of the sink and of course my first instinct was no one's there so they left it I grabbed it and put it in my pocket stuffed it in my back of my work pants and barely fit it was so thick I had lots of money in it I didn't even count the money. I just opened it up and looked out of curiosity. And never, not once, not even one time did I even consider or think about the idea of taking the money or taking the wallet, tossing it in the trash. I just couldn't do that. It just wasn't in me to be that person. So I stuffed it in my back pocket, walked out of the bathroom and I was watching and waiting. I knew whose ever wallet it belonged to would be coming back soon because that's a lot of money. And before I realized it, there was a car. I want to say it was a BMW, a very nice car, which would fit the fact that this guy had a huge wallet stuffed with lots of money in it. It was a young guy, probably a lawyer, looked like a lawyer. He came running up there and ran inside the bathroom and of course I saw him before he even got out of his car and I knew the way he came in sideways and he was that was his wallet 
and uh, so I started heading over to the bathroom and when I got there he was he had met me and uh, he had a disheveled fearful look on his face his eyes were big and he said I don't guess anybody turned in a wallet and I said whoa I said actually I was cleaning the bathroom earlier and I found your wallet on the uh, sink and he goes oh my god he said I guess the money's all gone and I said I don't think so um, when I found it I just grabbed it and put it in my back pocket I said I did look inside there does seem to be quite a bit of money in there but I didn't count it and um, he said you you didn't take the money I mean you why wouldn't you take the money? And he was just dumbfounded that I that I wouldn't take the money. And I said, no, sir, it's it's all there from when I found it. I, I can't speak for before that, but it it, it was a, I didn't take any of your money. And he said, why though? Why wouldn't you take the money? And I said, I couldn't. It wasn't mine. And he just stood there and he stared at me and he's going through his wallet and he's looking and he's counting the money and he said, it's all here. It's all here. I said, well, good. I'm glad. And he, he pulled out a denomination. I don't remember what it was, but I said, no, 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 no. You keep your money. It's yours. He said, yeah, but I want to reward you. And I said, no. I said, my reward is you getting it back. And he just looked at me. He just couldn't believe there was somebody like that. And uh, I remember feeling really, really good that I had done something for someone that I didn't really know. It was a great feeling. And yeah, I mean, I won't lie, I was tempted to take the money, but honestly, I, I couldn't bring myself to do it. I just... I felt like if I had taken the money, it may have diminished some of the feeling that I had of, of doing the right thing. He walked away, and I could just see him shaking his head as he walked away. He couldn't believe it. He got in his car, and he left, and I never saw him again. And I felt really good about doing the right thing. It just felt good. It was a, it was a really good feeling. And it, that time, I... Uh, you know, I didn't think about my dad much, but I do now. And I was so glad that he taught me to be that kind of person. I'm not bragging. It's just, it was just part of who I was. I never could take things that weren't mine. I never could steal from other people. Now, sure, if I found money on the ground and, you know, no one was around and I, I couldn't find out who the owner was, absolutely. Yeah, I'd take it. Um, but I'd feel badly, you know, because somebody lost that money and it's their money and I know how I'd feel if I lost it. So I guess that's just who I am, you know. Not to say that I don't have faults. My goodness, I'm sure my faults outweigh my good side, you know. I'm sure that I'm not the best person I could be of tried to be the best version of myself I'm not always good at it I often fail but every day's a, a new day to try and be better than I was before and to be that person that I think my dad would be proud of me for being so 
Now we're coming into the town of Jennings, Florida, which is even smaller than Jasper. And uh, it's a cute little town. It's, it's, I swear I'd think I was in Georgia if I didn't know any better. Old home here on the right, gas station downtown, $3.19 a gallon. North, 41. Jennings Public Library. An old two-story house with shingled siding that looks like it's asbestos. And the United States Post Office, 32053. Jennings, Florida. And a family dollar. I was looking for the dollar general because you can't hardly sling a dead cat anymore without hitting the dollar general here in North Florida. <laughs> and I'm noticing some colors too around some of the trees. There's a beautiful yellow tree over there to my left. And of course my favorite, the sycamore tree. Sycamore tree is my favorite, I think, because it reminds me of the old Pooh trees, you know, the Winnie the Pooh stories. And it kind of looks like a sycamore tree and I love the big leaves. It's just a really pretty tree to me. Mostly, though, down here in North Florida, it's just pine trees. We've got three types of pine trees that I'm aware of. We've got the loblolly, the slash pine, and the longleaf. And they're all pretty much indigenous to this area, if I remember correctly. And uh, it seems that they're mingled amongst some sweet gums, some, as my dad used to call them, red tip maples, but that's not what they're called. They're actually called, uh, what is it, sugar maple. They turned that real pretty red during the uh, fall colors. And now we're in Georgia, Eccles County, crossing over into Georgia now on 41 North. Not much has changed in the terrain. Looks pretty much the same. I just know I'm in Georgia because the sign told me I was. And uh, still a little two-lane country road. 